Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. Thank you all for being here this morning. Um, those of you that were here Thursday night, it was great to see you. Those that, huh? Those that weren't here Thursday night, um, mandatory, mandatory listening, minus.com slash Rabbi Ari. You can hear the audio of Rabbi Shastab's lecture. Check it out. It was, as they say, the real deal. All right, check it out. My dad always counts how many people are things, so I've kind of gotten that habit. I think it's like a hundred people. Close to it. Close to it. Yeah. The topic was how to get over the you ruin my life syndrome. So um, it was fantastic. Um, all right, good. Let's uh, let's segue into chapter five. Well, we actually started chapter five last week. Very impressive. We're on page. Oh yeah. Huh? Well, uh, yeah, we got we got three lines in. What, what do you mean? What do you mean? Okay, let's pass these around. If anybody needs a copy, pass this way. Pass this way. All right, again, page 50, chapter 5, Feminine Faith. All right, so last week, last week we spoke about, oh, we kind of have one topic that we've been focusing on, which is uh, the distinction between masculine and feminine energies. Um, last week, we followed up on our talk from two weeks ago regarding the Kav and the Rishimo. Remember this? The line and the void. And we, right? We, the line and the void. At the beginning, or the way it was, God filled the entire space of existence. There was an infinite light. God's ever-present being didn't allow any space for otherness to exist. So... I already have a question about that. I've been thinking about it all. All right. <laughs> Go for it. So this construct... Yeah. This was what, sorry? <laughs> who came up with the concept? No, who came up with this concept? This is divine wisdom. Well, so who channeled the divine Who wisdom? put it on paper? Rabbi Chaim Vital. In, in, the, in a work called Eitz Chaim. In the 1500s. But you have to understand that most Kabbalistic wisdom was passed down from teacher to student. From generation to generation. And it was carefully not recorded. So as not to fall, uh, not to be misunderstood or fall into the wrong hand, etc. Alright, so God's presence filled all of space, all of everything. There was no space, there was no room for otherness, uh, existence to, to be. God withdraws His presence to the sides, so to speak. Again, it's not literal because there's no concept of space at that point in time. There's no time that that point can exist either. But. So God removes His presence to the side. In, this, in, the, in the middle, so to speak, is this, is this void called the Makam Panoi, an empty space. And within that space, that's where existence can emerge. Good. So, subsequently, God shines a ray of light, a single ray of light, from, from the infinite presence from his infinite light into this space, into this empty void space and that allows existence to emerge, creation to emerge so we explained that there are two perspectives on reality 
the perspective of the kav, which is the ray of light, and the perspective of the makampane, the empty space. The perspective of the kav, the light, is that the empty space is empty, and therefore we need to fix it, we need to bring in light. The perspective of the empty space is that the space is not so empty. After all, how is it empty? Because God said, let me withdraw my presence. In other words, what this is expressing is God's power of limitation. So in the empty space, paradoxically, we have God, but God as expressing Himself exactly. God as empty space. God as the ability to hold Himself back. We gave the analogy of a teacher and a parent, whichever one you want to use, or a spouse, somebody in a relationship, where there are times that you give and express yourself, where you share your opinion, where you instruct, where you guide, where you lead, etc. And there are times that you withhold. But when you withhold, it's not because you're not there, you're there in your withholding. So a parent that's not telling the child what to do at every moment because he wants or she wants the child to make positive decisions on his or her own, the parent is there in that silence. The parent is there in the silence in the sense of, I'm empowering you to rise on your own. So it's not that the parent is not there. The parent is there, but the expression of the parent is, I'm not there. But I'm not there expresses the parent. Make sense? All this makes sense. Should make sense. How does the child know the difference? It's a great question. We haven't really touched that yet. We We can talk about that in a second. I, what I was going to say is that if you th- this is still this is not the mind bending part. We're about to, we're going to get there in a second. We're going to get there soon. So how does the child know if <laughs> strong coffee? Over there. Okay. So your question is how do you know if how does the child know that the silence or the space is healthy positive space as opposed to negative black hole space? Like let's say it's um, a child who can't communicate even with the parent. It's hard. Let's say a child is a dog or a pet. Well, okay, I, 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 I don't want to get too la- too elaborate of a, of, a, of a specific scenario, but I think in general, I want to give you the general the general notion. Well, the dog ge- has to have faith. One second. The general idea is that the parent has to give enough of the positive, in other words, enough of the of the influence, and demonstrate credibility, in other words, build that credibility, so that when the parent is not there. When, the, when there is silent, silence, the child, student, spouse knows that the silence does not mean that there's, a, there's, there's an utter rejection. It means that there's space being allowed for the emergence of, uh, of identity of the other. In other words, so the, the short answer is, without getting into specific, super specific scenarios, is that the, the parent's responsibility is to make sure that the child gets... That the, that the space or the silence or whatever is their opportunity to rise. Intention. Okay. So exactly. the child knows the intention. Exactly. The exactly. That's, and, that, and that's a little bit tricky. How do you do that? That's, uh, that's why parents get paid the big bucks. Yeah. It's part of it, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I meant that's why there's a lot at stake. That's what I meant. Yeah. It's part of that, too, though, in that withholding or silence, whatever you call it, if the child fails or falls or needs support, not that they're rescued, but that the, that the parent's still there for them, as opposed of course. to... Of I mean, I, I, yeah. I think they, the child learns that through what happens in that space. You know? Right. If, well, imagine this. The parent and the parent's there for support. I'm going to give you two scenarios that feed right off of, of your energy, right? So let's say the parent gives the child space, and the child makes a mistake. Two responses. How could you make a mistake? I told you to do the right thing. Think about that. Versus... I see what you did, let's talk about it, let, let me tell you, let me instruct you, let me guide you. 
What does the child feel in the first scenario? Either guilt, negativity, but also that the space is not a healthy, conducive space for them to grow, but it's a dangerous place to be. Because the moment you fail, boom! Yeah, you get like, you get this negative uh, energy going on. You ruined my life. You ruined my... <laughs> Do I have a talk for you? So that's, uh, that's the challenge. That's the challenge. And, and I don't not the challenge, that's, that's the responsibility of the parent which is to recognize his or her role and to ensure that the space, that, that everything that's part of that is done in a healthy way, as opposed to unhealthy, neglectful, abusive, you know. If a parent gives the space to the child and then is all over the child for, for doing the wrong thing or for making a mistake or quote-unquote a mistake, so it's still about control. Or even if they, if they I, come in and rescue them. But it's also the rescue also. You have to be careful, right, that it's not, it's not too much of a rescue. It's more of guidance. Again, you know, you know what the key to, to everything is? Yeah, this is the key to everything. You like this? No, not, I'm not even going there. The key, well, the key to many things. This is a key that opens up many doors. Is having in mind at the beginning what the objective is at the end. And that really, that really takes care of a lot of stuff. Because if you know why you're doing it, a lot of times we don't know why we're doing stuff. And so we end up doing it, and we end up doing things that we shouldn't be doing because we don't know why we're doing it. So, Saif Maisev Machshav Atchila, it says. We say it in the Lechadodi uh, every Friday night. The end, the final action, was the original intent. That's in a healthy situation, a healthy scenario. Unhealthy scenario is, I'm going to just kind of play it by ear, or just go by my gut, and just, you know, kind of shoot from the hip. Can be more cliches, whatever. And we're just, we're just going to go for it, and, you know, whatever happens, happens. So, think about parenting, right? Think about parenting for a second. It's hard for parents to know, in a sense, or hard for parents to remember sometimes what their role is. What, what, they're, what they're there for. Because you get stuck in the middle. There's stuff that has to happen. Food, clothing, shelter, tuition, carpool, all this stuff. But you gotta think about you gotta think about what's the objective. I want my kid, you know, parenting style. So everyone's got a different parenting style, and every book has a different take on how to parent, etc. It's fantastic. People make a lot of money on this stuff. But a very simple question. Very simple question has to be asked. And the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Chabad Rabbi said. That every day, just as it's a mitzvah to put on tefillin, to wrap tefillin, to do other things, it's a mitzvah, it's an obligation. A mitzvah doesn't mean just a good deed. It's a commandment, an obligation for parents to think 30 minutes, spend 30 minutes, half an hour each day, thinking about the education of their children. What, not, to, not to do homework with the kid. To think about education, what does that mean? Think about what, what the goal is. What are you trying to inculcate within the child? What are you trying to impress? What do you want your child to look like? And then you make sure, so you look at the end, and then you make sure that everything that you're doing is leading to that objective. You want your child to be strong, independent, right? Whatever it is, whatever your, your objective is, then make sure that everything that you're doing along the way is feeding into that goal. Now that's easier, easier said than done, because, you know, Life gets in the way when we, what's, what's the, right? Life gets in the way when we make plans. So you have ideas and then stuff happens. And, but if we, don't have, if we don't have a goal, 
then there's no there's no hope to get there. It's not, you know, that would be silly to say, hey, you know, I, I want to end up in California on a road trip, but I'm not I'm not going to follow any maps. I'm not I'm just going to take <laughs> random roads and maybe we'll end up there, maybe we won't. But I really want to end up there. It's kind of like contradictory. If you want to end up there, so make sure you're headed the right direction. Make sure you got the. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yes. I think what I identify with a lot is is what you don't say. You know, because I had to count to ten a lot of times in my kids It's just not saying anything. And there's some quote which I'm absolutely mutilating, but it's something about the true indication of a generous spirit is when you've got perfect squelch mm. refrain from saying it. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And that's paradoxically generosity. He said the most generous person, right? Paradoxically. So we, we all sense this to be true. Now, let's, uh, let's take it the next step. So this was all the original source of the difference between masculine and feminine energies. The masculine energy is, I don't see the light, I don't see the energy there, so we've got to fix it, we've got to bring in, we've got to import light, that's the calf, that's the line of light. Whereas the feminine energy is, I see the light, I see the energy, I see the presence here in the space, in the emptiness. Which is why I said last week, you have, and again, we have to be careful when we apply it to men and women in relationships, but on some level we might be able to, and say that, what was the example I gave last week? When, when, when the woman says, let's talk about, let's work on the relationship, and the guy starts saying, uh-oh, what's wrong? So it's, understand that it's not that there's anything wrong, it's that there's something good there that needs to be cultivated, needs to be brought out. But the guy says, oh, if we have to work on something, that means it's not there, and we've got to bring something in, so everyone's looking at it from a different perspective, etc. Now, one more step. This is all just, just uh, repeating what we said last week. One more step is the same duality. And by the way, one is not better, better, better than the other. Both are necessary. The same duality exists within the spherot. This is how we started the conversation a bunch of weeks ago. Between Malchut, oh, you have it. Between Malchut and the other, the other energies, the other spheres, the other divine energies, where you have Zah, the six preceding emotional and practical energies that are all about this is what I say, this is what should be done, etc. And Malchut takes in all of those energies and actually produces something creative, produces something new. And we said before that when in that in relation to the new entity that rises, Malchut has a very different take than the previous energies. Because Malchut views the, the new creation as a product of the previous energies. Make sense? In other words, Malchut sees in the new creation where it comes from. Because Malchut was part of that process. Whereas the other energies... They're one step removed from the process. And they were very strong in their sense. Chesed is, chesed is loving kindness. Gvura is severity and, and discipline. Everything had its opinion. That which comes out, the plan that comes out, the new creation that rises from that, doesn't necessarily look exactly like any of those specific energies. So the energy says, I don't see myself reflected necessarily in that new product. So it's disconnected. Whereas Malchut... So if you want to, if we want to make it whole again, so we got to, says, oh, let me get involved in this new creation. Let me, uh, let me dominate this place. Whereas Malchut sees all.
all of the energies within the new creation. And so here we have the idea, the simple idea, with regards to faith. And I'll ask a question. What do the spiritualist and the hedonist have in common? And I may have to define these terms. The spiritualist, the individual that discovers God on a mountaintop, in meditation, in a synagogue, somebody that... Spiritual. And the hedonist, somebody who says got to live today because tomorrow's just live live here now forget about god just live here now what's the connection both Adam about the position neither of them are integrating you know the spiritual and the physical ones totally the spiritual ones totally in the physical give me a little bit more they're both uh, introspective they're not they're they're both self-oriented. Good. Give me, okay. Good. So, but give me more along those lines. They're both vindicated, and what they're doing is, is the correct way. Okay. Good. No. Okay. I'm hearing that. But 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 playing off of what Joanne said, what are they both? What are they both saying? They're both saying the same thing. God is not. It's in the moment. God's not in that other. Or, or God. God's not where. God's not here. They're both saying God's not here. They're both saying God's not here. In the world. How is that? How because the, the hedonist says that God's not here, so I can do whatever I want. The spiritualist God's not here. If I want to seek God, I need to go somewhere else. That's, that's how I defined it. Right? You know, somebody who says that to find God, I've got to go to a synagogue, oh, right? is saying, in, a, in, in essence, that God is not on the street. God is not in the home, God is not in the work, in the boardroom, God is not in the, the supermarket, God is not in carpool on the highway, etc. God is not there. So how do we find God? How do we find it? Or, God is found on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Or God is found at the Seder. Or God is found in a mitzvah. In other words, anytime we say, that's where God is, and I'm when we put, we put God in a certain place, we say, if you want to find God, you have to go there. What you're in essence, what you in essence are saying, is that God is not right here. Now we happen to be in a synagogue, so it's kind of paradoxical to say that this approach is saying God is not here. But, but it was a house. It was a house, exactly. So to say, you understand the point? In other words, for me to say that I need to find God somewhere else, I need to do something, go somewhere to find God, is basically, in essence, me saying that God is not right here, right now, in whatever mundane situation we're talking about. The same, the same perspective as a hedonist. The only difference is, the only difference is, what's the difference? What's the difference between the he- in this in this structure? Huh? I'm not even. No, even. Different focus. I mean, one's, uh, one's focused on the material world. One's focused on. Well, the he- the difference is that the hedonist says, "This is what I see, and, th- and that's all I want." And the spiritual says, "Well, this is what I see, but I want something else, so I'm going to go somewhere else to find it." But it's all the same perspective on this reality. The spiritual is? Maybe the guilty one who says, Oh, I I feel so guilty about just being here. Let me find something outside of here. But it's all not finding God right here. And you have to understand that this is... This is... I was going to say this is a problem, but I can't really say that because this is the masculine approach. 
This is the masculine energy, which I'm going to explain in a second. One second, Jan had a question. Jan in the morning. Which perspective? Uh, you know, I don't, is, it, is it the fact that it's, I don't know, I think it's, I don't know if it's selfish versus selfless. Because the spiritualists will tell you, on the contrary, look, I'm, I'm ready to give up, I'm ready to give up everything. Yeah, okay, you know, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, but I think it's, yeah. But, but it really is that it's not Jewish. Because the thing about Jewish is yeah. that we, we remember our history. We, you know, we've been around for 4,000 years, so we've picked up a few things. Just a few. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> part of our mission here is that we have an obligation to future generations. And, that's a, and, and so... By, by staying in it, we have to figure out a way to make it happen. When, and when, when, when we say, God's not here, I think what we're really saying is, I'm not really here. Right. You know, so then I have to or we're saying that I am here, but then who are you? No, but I, have to, but I have to go someplace to find myself so I can, you know, see God. Because God's there. It's just, but, but what's going to take me to open up my, you know, to let down my defenses, to open it up? So, but it's, it's just a lot of you say, well... You know, we don't want to take the blame. God's fault. You know, some, it's something other than responsible, and that's part of. I think the Jewish mission is, 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 is what is. That's why the whole thing in like the talk the other night about the, you know that you don't wish things didn't happen. Uh, right, and then that's it's kind of dovetails with this idea that are you living? Is God in the present? Is God here, or is God somewhere that we have to find, etc.? And, I mean, this is this is the key idea, yeah. And also, it uh, it's it's like the, the both of them feeling I can't be myself, my full self here. Like I can't be my full self anywhere, you know, in this world. And the, so the hedonist says, "Well, I'll just be the physical, you know, the physical part." Of right. Me. And then the spiritualist says, "Well, I'll just be the spiritual part of me, but I can't be the rest because, you know, it's not available here." Right. Either it's too scary, it's too ugly, it's too intimidating, or it's too empty. But it's not. But the, but the common denominator is that God is not right here. And both of these approaches are not the Jewish approach. Yeah. I think what's interesting is I've heard people say, and growing up, I had this idea too, like to be religious. I think some people say, oh no, I'm not religious. I only go to synagogue on Passover, you know, or right. high holidays or whatever. And it's, I think. With organized religion, sometimes you can feel like, oh, that's what it means to be religious, but that's not what it is. Yeah, there's nothing organized about Chabad. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, somebody says, I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't go to organized religion. It's okay. It's, we don't believe in that either. Or your chaos. No, right. So I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I love learning here how much religion is not about whether or not you go to. Well, here's the question Is Judaism a religion? And as we've established many times in this class, Judaism is not a religion. No. It's a way of life. It's, fi- it's finding God right here. It's not a religion. A religion says you want to find God, you have to... Now, we have to be careful. Why do I have to be careful? Because I said so. No. There's a better reason. Even better reason. Because there's some truth to the other way as well. Because it reflects, as we've talked about before, masculine and feminine energies. The feminine energy is that God is right here. Right? Malchut, the perspective, again, let's talk about Malchut. Malchut is the sphere, the energy that creates. Biyah, Bria, Yitzir, that creates 
the worlds as we know them, our plane of existence. Malchut recognizes that the world is infused with godliness because it was transmitting godliness to the world because it is part of right, the undercurrent of the world. So even though the world looks like an empty space, the empty space is God's empty space. It's not so empty if it's God's empty space. Malchut senses that. The feminine energy, the feminine soul comes from Malchut. Therefore, the feminine energy senses God's presence in the world and is able to work then on cultivating and bringing it out and showing, no, this too can be utilized for a godly purpose. The masculine perspective, the masculine soul comes from Zah, comes from the other energies. Because the masculine soul, the masculine energy, comes from Zah, the perspective is the world is missing. The world doesn't have that connection. God is not in the world. We have to do something that brings God into the world, which is why I explained probably a month ago that there are two parts to Judaism. One is doing a mitzvah, and one is living a Jewish life. And there's a difference between the two. One is, I need to do a mitzvah. A mitzvah, a ritual mitzvah. Put on tefillin, light Shabbos, candles, etc. The other one is, I'm going to live a Jewish life in every aspect of life. In all your ways you should know Hashem. In other words, on all every step that you take, it should be done filled with a sense of Hashem is in this moment and how do I live my life? How do I live this moment in a way that expresses my consciousness of God being present? Which means that when I eat, of course I say the bracha before and the blessing before and then after. But when I eat also, the eating is in a different way. When I conduct business, it's done in an ethical way. I'll speak about this Tuesday and Thursday at the JLI class, the final class of Money Matters. How it's engaging in business ethically that transforms the world. That takes Jewish values out of the synagogue and brings it into the world. Brings it into the space where other people exist as well. So I'm engaging in business that could be cutthroat, step on someone else, dishonest, cutting corners to make an extra buck, etc. All of those things, and I'm engaging in it in a, in, a, in a moral, ethical, higher way. What I'm doing is I'm demonstrating that God is here as well. It's not that I can be, it's not that I can be uh, a ganif in business, <laughs> right? Ganif, a thief in business, and then go to Shul and Shabbos and Davin. That's, that's the same thing, right? That, that shows that there's a disconnect in my... Well, that shows that there's a disconnect in my reality. Why, why, is, there a, why is there a disconnect in my reality? Because I'm living my business life dishonestly. So God is not here. And where is God? It's like the same thing. Ganif the Talmud says. A Ganif burrowing through... We said it many times. Burrowing through, about to burrow through the house and come up on the other side and, and, and rob the house. So the thief prays. So you have the paradox. So God, God is here. I'm praying to God that I not get caught. But at the same time, God is not really in, informing this moment because if God was in this moment, I wouldn't be stealing. So this is the idea. The idea is we have two, two ways of expressing our connection or a finding connection. One is importing God. That's what a mitzvah. Every mitzvah is an importing of God's energy. Brings more light into the world, which is basically making the statement that the, the world is dark or somewhat dark, and I need to do something that brings in more light, so every mitzvah schleps more light in, whereas living 
a what I'm calling a Jewish life, a life filled with Jewish values, that's a holistic experience where what I'm saying is, I don't need to do, I don't need to bring in life from the outside. I need to show how this too can be, how this too, this business transaction, meal, etc., has a spark of godliness within it that needs to be cultivated, and, that can be cultivated and uncovered, and that's what I'm going to do in this moment. Right. So what I want to say is like this. So along those lines, along those lines, along those lines, we have like this. We spoke about this earlier, at the, all the way at the beginning of this book. Men and women in Jewish law have different obligations. Remember we spoke about this? Not everyone has the same mitzvah. But there are certain, there's a category of mitzvot that women are not obligated to perform. Remember this category? Yeah. What was the category? Let's define it. Mitzvat say a positive commandment. In other words, a thou shall do, don't do something. That is, Shazman Grama, that is, at a certain time of day. Time specific or limited by time. Time constraint. So a positive mitzvah, a mitzvah that, that's, that tells the person you should do this and this, but it's got to be done between the hours of this and this. So we say women are not obligated. You want to do it, you can do it. Absolutely. By all means. But are you obligated? You don't have to do it. Yeah, what about... So hold on. What I'm saying, your last, certain things became the custom that women should do more than men for other reasons, but this is the general, for every general rule, there's an exception, but this is the general rule. Women are not obligated in, these, in this category of mitzvot. And so what's the typical reason that's given? Oh, so you can't obligate understanding the biology of women that, that they, they may encounter um, uh, situations in life Pregnancy and nursing and motherhood, etc. So there's a certain biological reality. So therefore, you can't make an obligation on somebody who may not be able to fulfill the obligation. That's cruel. How can you say you have an obligation, and then you, when you can't do it, oh, now you're in trouble. Now, now you're you're not. So we say, you know what? You don't have the obligation. Now, if you can, of course you should do it. But you don't have the when you say obligation, you don't have the responsibility that you have to do it at all costs. That's the typical answer that's given. Today, I want to tell you that you already have. The mystical answer. You already have the answer for the distinction. Yeah, they already know. What is a mitzvah? What is a positive mitzvah that's time constrained? What does that mean? What is the message of that mitzvah? That you have a, a window to bring in God into the world, and if you don't bring in God into the world with this mitzvah, if you don't bring in that light, the opportunity is gone forever. Is that a masculine energy or a feminine energy? It's a masculine energy. The masculine energy is, uh-oh, if we don't fix it in this time, we're never going to be able to get this light again. We're never going to be able to capture this light. The feminine energy, the feminine energy, the feminine soul, is not associated with these limitations, this type, this, 
in a sense, this small... I don't, I'm not going to put it down because both energies are necessary with this, let's call it, a limited way of thinking. It was a limited way, not to, I'm not discounting a mitzvah. On the contrary, a mitzvah is an energy and a woman could do a mitzvah, absolutely, that's, that's a positive mitzvah, that's a time constraint as well. The point is like this, that the notion that we need to bring light, more light into the world because the world is dark and it has to be done between the hours of 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. It's a very, that, that, that energy is a masculine energy. The feminine energy is a more holistic energy. So, so this is why, one of the reasons why, again this is maybe the deeper reason why, we have this distinction between masculine and feminine uh, soul, between the obligations of men and women, which reflect the masculine and feminine energies, the souls, the source, and the purpose, in a sense, the purpose in life. Not to say that, um, that there's no crossover, because everyone has both masculine and feminine energies, but these are the dominant energies, the dominant forces that come through in their respective forms. Yeah. Even the way you define a mitzvah, a way to bring in light, yeah. that sounds masculine, correct? Yeah, exactly. That, the mode of that is masculine. When you couple that with a mitzvah that can only be done at a certain time, otherwise that opportunity is lost, that becomes a very... Understand the, the example I gave before, that God is, not, God is not here, God is only found there, and only there then, and I have to do that then, and then I can bring... That's a very... I'm not discounting it. Of course it's true. And a a woman should do a mitzvah. Positive mitzvah this time if she can do it. Of course. But the point is that it's a masculine mode, modality, way of thinking, way of approaching that's very different from the feminine. Yeah. Why do you say they're both necessary? They're both necessary because in our world we need to cultivate and we also need to bring in. The example that we gave a few weeks ago that I think worked well, one of the examples was a garden. So, as a gardener, you have a garden, you have to take out the weeds, you have to cultivate what's already there, and you also have to bring in new stuff. One doesn't negate the other. Both are necessary. So you have to cultivate and you have to bring in. Which is why, potentially, men and women can work very well together. The potential is also not to work together well. Why? Because everyone's seeing it from a different perspective. But this is, I mean, this is part of the mystery of life. You know, how to... How to understand the value, the virtue of someone who doesn't see it like you. Can you um, explain then the candle lighting and then also, am I right that the, that the reason men cover their heads is related to the, to the less the lesser awareness? Yeah, so the covering of the head, just to take the second one first, the covering of the head is to remind, remind the individual that God is present. So again, the masculine energy, the masculine mode would be, I need to do something to remind myself. The feminine approach would be, I have that awareness within. It's like a different way of, exactly. It's like, are we doing stuff or are we being stuff? Doing or being, that type of thing. We, so we see this reflected in both, not that one is better than the other. But one is more innate and one is more, you know, one is more internal, one is more external. You need both. The candle lighting is like this. The candle lighting, it's a mitzvah to light candles Friday night so that the house is illuminated, even though you have electricity, electric, but nowadays, but still there's the idea to light candles, to illuminate uh, warmth, glow, spirituality, energy, etc. Now that's, that is definitely a, first of all, it's a rabbinic, it's a rabbinic mitzvah, it's not a biblical mitzvah. It's number one. Not to discount it, but it's not, it's not like biblical. Um, 
And the, the, the custom is for women to do it, even though it's a time-constrained mitzvah. The idea is that women should, should be, lighting, uh, be lighting those candles. There are many different reasons given in, in Jewish law for that, but that's, it, it's not a contradiction. It's not like a woman can't, but it's, it becomes more of a custom that they should be the ones doing that mitzvah. Yeah. So when Orthodox women cover their head with scarves and wear, and wear the shadows, is that because the knowledge that there's God there or because for more? That's sneeze. That's modesty. That's modesty. That's modesty. That's another class. No, no, that's another. That's another. That's got nothing to do with God. That's got to do with man. No, not, no, no. Not that it has nothing to do with God. No, that's. But that's. There's other, other, other angles on that as well. It's a good question. Um, I'm not sure. You're saying would a toupee be considered a yarmulke? I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not sure. All right. I've never. Uh, I've never thought about that question. It's a good question. I'm sure there's an answer. I'm sure it's been discussed before. All right. Let's. Uh, with all of this introduction, this makes. So, wait. Does it make sense so far? Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. With this introduction, let us get into page 50, chapter 5, second paragraph, because we read the first paragraph. All right. Huh? We read the first paragraph. Yeah, wait. Page 50, right here, second paragraph. Can we review it? Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> nah. That's so last, last week. Keep rolling. Well, let me, let me segue into the second paragraph. Oh, so what we're saying is that the women did not participate <laughs> in the sin of the golden calf. Now, why didn't they participate in the sin of the golden calf? They didn't give their jewelry. They because they, they weren't looking to import a new God into the picture. It's like, Moses doesn't come down from the mountain, so, uh-oh, let's, uh, let's, let's bring in a new God. Let's create a new deity. Let's create a golden calf. The women said, yeah, I can China. We don't need a new God. God is right here. God is present. We don't need to import God. We don't need to bring in a new energy. God is right here. So he's a little late. He's a little late. No, that's the point. The men are like time constrained. It's the same idea. It's like, well, if he didn't show up in the window of 40 days, and so then God is not here. They take it literally. No, but it's very, it's a very linear, I don't, I don't know. It's a very, in a sense, limited way of looking at things. That God is will come at this point, or not God, Moses, but as a representative of God, broke his promise, etc. Whereas the women felt that God is here, so we don't need to look anywhere else, God is right here. And this is why they had that faith. And by the way, that's why they had the faith throughout the, ex- throughout the, the slavery in Egypt, when the men, even Mo- Moshe's parents, you know the story. It wasn't that the men didn't want to um, have intimate relations yeah, and the women... Exactly. Themselves yeah, that the women said, the women enticed their husbands, so to speak, and they, and they had more kids. So, why? Because the men said, well, what are we having kids? More slaves? We should feed Pharaoh's uh, slave force. Like, what's the point? And the women said, no, we're, we're now establishing the generation that's going to leave this place. They had the faith that they're going to leave, uh, they're going to leave Egypt. Moshe's parents... What were, what were their names? Moshe's father? Huh? Amram and... Yocheved. And Yocheved. Amram and Yocheved. So it says that they separated. They had two kids, and they separated. Why did they separate? Because it was a decree that said that the boys that are born 
should be uh, will be will be killed, thrown into the Nile, etc., or put into the pyramids, stuffed into the pyramids, or it says that Pharaoh used to bathe in uh, in the blood of, of Jewish children, etc. Horrific things. So Amram and Yocheved, Moshe's parents, they separate before he, got, before he, before he was born. Miriam, Moshe's sister, says to says to her parents. She says to her parents, "You, you two, as she said this, of course, with respect, but I'm I'm saying it dramatically. You two are worse than Pharaoh, because Pharaoh only decreed on the boys, and your decree is on the girls also. In other words, by you separating, you're going to ensure not only boys are not don't survive, don't don't live. don't live, but there won't be any girls either. So you, your your decree." so to speak, is, is more severe than Pharaoh's decree. And you have to understand that, that Moshe's parents, they were, they were leaders of the community, and their lead would, have, would be followed by everyone else. So Miriam said, how can, you, how can you set such an example? And her parents listened to her, and they, they unseparated, right? Whatever, whatever. Got back, got back together. That's, I guess that's the. Uh, if you want to say it like that, okay. But yeah, they got back together, and uh, and soon thereafter, Moshe was born. So that's the deal. So the deal is that it was Miriam, who was then a little girl. I think she was three, five. She was a little girl. She was, she was, she had the faith inherently that God was present, that, that, that everything would work out. And, and indeed, uh, yeah, of course. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Amram and Yocheved. Amram with an M. Amram and Yocheved, yeah. All right. She was like five when she led the singing? No, 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 no. The Exodus? Yeah, no, later. She was older. Moshe was 80. No, 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 not 40, 80. Moshe was 80, and she was, I think she was 6 years older. She must have been 86. I think Aaron was 3, and she was 6 years. I think it was like 6, 3, 1. Okay, take it away. Ready, second paragraph. This was because. This was because the source of their souls is a Nukva. Is in Nukva. Source of whose souls, the feminine souls, are in Nukva. Continue. And his kingship has dominion over all. Namely, Malchut rolls rules over all the 70 ministering angels in heaven. Let me explain all of this. We have now, we're getting Kabbalistic term, terminology here. But again, stuff that we've discussed and that you already know. So it says the source of their souls, the source of feminine, of the feminine souls, the source is in Nukva. What is Nukva? So if you look at footnote 102, you see Nukva? Yeah, Nukva, literally female. Nekeva. So what is Nukva? Why is Nukva? Why does it say Nekeva? Because Nekeva is Hebrew. And Nukva is Aramaic. And Kabbalah, the first major Kabbalistic work the Zohar is written in, Aramaic. Alright, so that's, uh, that explains it. So, Nukva is female, and it's another term for Malchut, the tenth and last of the spheres. So as we said, the source of feminine souls comes from Malchut, the feminine energy. And we said that it receives the energies that preceded it, it receives it, and then it, it, it blends them together or it, it does its magic and then it produces something, a creation, it gives birth, it gives rise to the subsequent worlds and dimensions of reality, including our world. It all comes from Malchut. And, uh, and Malchut, so look, and his kingship has dominion over all. I just, I just want to, I'm going to get your question in a second. I just want to explain what you read, what Yaakov read. It's Malchuso. Bako Mashallah. It says in, in the book of Psalms, yeah, this is a book of, this is 
Psalms 103. His kingship, Malchuto, Malchus, is a play on words. So the psalm of King David says his kingship is dominion over all. It's God's king over everything. But we say, the way Kabbalah understands it, Malchuto, God's energy of Malchut, because it's right that tent, that energy, Bakom Mashallah, is overall. In other words, it recognizes how it is it how it its energy is woven through the fabric of all of existence of all of creation. So all of creation has this feminine energy running through it, or more precisely, God's energy running through it. The feminine energy is the one that recognizes, that sees, in a sense, the matrix, sees the energy that's flowing through everything. Namely, Malchut rules over the seven ministering angels in heaven. In other words, one might see the world as an empty place, right? a place that doesn't have the void of the energy, and there are all these other things that are kind of doing their thing, they, kind of, they have their role, they have their place. The feminine soul sees, which comes from Malchut, recognizes that Malchut, that Malchut itself, she herself, rules over all 70 ministry angels in heaven. In other words, there's no outside force. There are no two, dim- two, two domains. It's not like you have the world and God. So you have the world, and then the world has its rules of operation. You have 70 ministering angels, and you have Wall Street, and you have other things, and everything has its, has its structure, everything has its place. And then you have God. No. Malchut rules over all the 70 ministering angels in heaven. Malchut. The 70 ministering angels are nothing more than tools utilized by God with which to run the world. So there are no separate... Yeah. We haven't read that. No, we haven't read that yet. We haven't read that yet. Hold on. You're, you're jumping way ahead. That's next week. <laughs> you're, in the, you're in the next sentence. Uh-oh. Yeah. Shh, yeah. So, I'm just trying to process all this. Sure. So, I've often thought, you know, in the world of philosophy, with Aristotle and Plato and Kant, and they're all men. And I wonder if it's because men are the real dreamers and the ones who record it and maybe women are just living it and it goes without saying you know the, the story where the, um, the child goes to the synagogue on, on, on Shabbos and he's looking at the um, at the board, they have like an announcement board in the synagogue and he sees that they're welcoming in a new rabbi into the synagogue, it's uh, Rabbi Dr. Uh, um, Friedman, you this one? Okay, sorry. Rab- yeah, sorry. It's all good. Rabbi Doctor Friedman. So very exciting. I mean, so, so the next day, Sunday morning, the chi- or Monday perhaps, the child calls uh, the synagogue office. Says, "Can I speak to uh, Rabbi Doctor Friedman?" And uh, the secretary says, "Yes." Who's calling? Says his name. Sure. They transfer the, fo- the the call. Rabbi answers the phone. Says, "Hi, uh, this is Rabbi Doctor Friedman." Yes, I'm so and so, and I'm having. Um, I'm not feeling well. There's something, so that the uh, oh, I'm gonna kill. I always kill the show, every single time. I can do it. So the 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 rabbi says, "Oh, I'm not that kind of doctor." So the ra- so the kid says, "What kind of doctor are you?" He says, "Doctor of philosophy." Child says, "What kind of disease is that?" <laughs> so I understand what you're saying. The philosophy is like. Look, it has. There's not that. There's nothing wrong with philosophy, but I think what you're saying is that there's that there's thinking about it. There's philosophy is like is almost like to get somewhere. I got to go somewhere else. 
Is that what you're saying? I don't want to put words in. Right. But maybe it's because women tell each other people around any of them. I mean, and they don't feel the need to, to write the whole book on feeding the baby is a pure spiritual Right. Path. Yeah. We're also trying to do things that maybe women didn't get the education. Well, that too. Well, yeah, and that's, and that's certainly not a, uh, not a positive reason. Yeah. But it could be a real... No, I'm with you. Yeah. All right, now, so let, but let's get back to this. So what we're saying is like this. So the source of, of feminine souls are in Nukvar and Malchut. And Malchut is that the energy that is intimately involved in the fabric of creation, the fabric of this world. In other words, it's the divine energy, energy that is present in the world. That's what Malchut is. Malchut is the divine energy that's in this world. Exactly, transmitting to them the God of life force that enlivens them. Exactly. Whereas the other higher and then the reference there is in footnote one or two on the right. Side. I don't want to get into footnote because a lot of the stuff that we talked about the last uh, month or so is is capturing this. So, but the idea is no, but it's hundred percent right that the higher energies, in a sense, they're more removed. But this malchut, because it's so hands-on in creation, it gives rise, it gives birth to the lower world. So, it's. It is the godly force that is channeled in these worlds. Now, let's continue. The women. And Malchut is also the human creative decision-making. Is that Malchut as well? Not necessarily decision-making, but it's more than decision-making. Because decision-making, I can channel one of, the, one of the energies and go with it. Malchut is a more complex... The way Malchut exists within the human being... We'll, we can schmooze about that. We, we, we spent a lot of time on that, but I don't want to bring it up right now because it's a big, big, big discussion. It's not just making a decision, but it's, it's really giving birth to a new, a new creative path that blends within it many different, uh, many different options. All right, take it away. The women. Uh, the women knew and sensed in their souls that there was no substance to the constellations and ministering angels to a greater degree than did the men sense it. For the men's souls are from the masculine plane, the air on being of Atsilu which is utterly exalted and elevated above and beyond the worlds of Berea, Yitzira, and Yitzira. You see that? Does this all make sense? This should, this should make sense. But if not, I'm going to translate the words. So it says, the women knew in sense, they knew in their souls. Why? Because their souls come from that place. It's an inherent knowing. It's not an acquired knowing. Because their souls... It's almost like men can also have this understanding, but again, it's going to be in a masculine way. It's going to be knowing something outside. The women sense inherently, because their souls come from Malchut, that there's no substance, independent substance, to the world separate from God. Again, one approach is, well, the, the world operates on its terms. The world is a separate entity. So it's got, you got your basic constellations, your ministering angels, you've got all your stuff, your mechanism, your nature, you've got all that stuff that's operating in the world. And then you have God that's kind of outside the system and sometimes steps in, sometimes doesn't step in, and whatever, God's kind of like an outsider. Or we do a mystery, we bring him in, we don't bring him in, we find him, we, we say hi to him on, on, uh, once a year, whatever it is. But God's outside of the system. The women, their perspective is God is the system. God is the system. Who are the ministering angels? Not that ministering angels are God, but God runs the ministering angels. The ministering angels are a tool that God utilizes to run the world. But is, is, is God outside of that? Of course not. 
Right? They say that there's no... So what does it mean, Adina Malka? What does it mean that they sense that there's no substance to the constellations? Not that there aren't... Whoop, there we go. <laughs> not that there... Not that there aren't... Understand? Uh, no, so you're good. No, no. Not that, not that there's no... Not that there's... Not that there's literally no substance, but there's no substance. There's no independent substance. They don't have their own, their own energy independent from the source of all sources. The source of all. That God, run, God is running through everything, the constellations too. And so, are we, gonna, are we subject... Let's remember, as we explained in the last... In the last, um, the last chapter, a while ago, we explained that the, uh, the, the mistake with the golden calf was because the error of the mixed multitude said that the constellation of Egypt was defeated by the neighboring constellation. Remember this? Remember the constellation of Egypt was? Ares. Remember the, the ram, the lamb, etc. And the, the, constel- the neighboring constellation is Taurus, which is the bull. So they said that the Taurus beat up the Ares. And therefore... We gotta create a golden calf because that's to represent the bull, right? The Taurus, the bull, a small bull, a young bull is a calf, etc. So they said we have to worship the calf because really it wasn't God that took care of it. It was the ba- it was it was a battle of the stars. Right? It was this battle, dancing with the stars situation that happened and and dancing with the stars and, and the this is huh? prancing with the stars and the Taurus Turned out the winner, the, the big winner of the prize. So that's why so Egypt got defeated. But it's not God. It's still a constant inter, intergalactic uh, uh, battle. The Taurus beat up the... That's what they... Yeah. The ram? The, the, yeah, Ares, the yeah. The, the ram. The bull beat the ram, and therefore the lamb was the carbon paste, or the paschal sacrifice that was slaughtered. And the bull, represented by a small calf... Because you don't want a bull around, right? So if you're channeling, if you're channeling a god, you kind of want to make it small. It'll get bigger... Yeah. It's like those... How you want it portable. It's like, oh, but the tiger was so cute when he was young. Like, oh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Terrible idea. Yeah, I mean, it's trap. Anyway. Okay, get it. Let's, the alligator was so small at one point in time. Okay. Huh? What other animal? Yeah, I don't know. It's a koala. Okay, so here's the deal. Baby rhino. It was so cute. What? So cute, but not cuddly at all. Um, so getting back to this idea, so we have, so the constellations were seen by some within the Jewish camp as having the power to determine the fate of the Jews. And that's what determined the fate of the Jews. The women said, are you kidding me? Who are the constellations? What do they have? They have their own independent power. They're independently owned and operated. What is this, a franchise? What? The constellations suddenly, they have their own power. They can, so this one has the power over that one. What about God? Malchut, you have to understand. You have to understand. You can't even blame the men. They were helpless to this, in a sense, to, their, to what they know inside. The women knew this inherently because they are from Malchut. Malchut is what gives the energy to the constellation. So it knows that the constellations are only given the energy by itself. So of course they don't have their own independent power. So the women said, are you kidding me? You want to bow down and serve the constellation? You don't know where the constellation... The constellation is nothing. The constellation is a tool. The men said, no, the constellations, they have the power. Why? Not because they don't believe in God. This is how I started, or at some point we started. This, the hedonist and the spiritualist, the men weren't hedonists. It reflected itself in a hedonistic manner when they served the golden calf, but it didn't start like that. 
It started from a spiritualist place. God is too big to get involved in such a lowly, messy world as we've, we've talked about. So therefore, the constellations do serve a vital role, and they do have power, and so therefore, it's, it's only right to serve the constellations, because they hooked us up with this victory. But it wasn't God. So the men, because they're, they come, in a sense, their souls are coming from, I don't want to say higher or lower, but they come from a, a loftier place that's more removed from that, the energy that flows into the world itself. So they have a different perspective on the energies that operate in the world. Yeah, BJ. Right. Of, of rejecting it. But then they take that next act of together, like a togetherness, that this is a, a decision across the board by all the women right. that they know. Right. And that actually has a little masculine to it. Of taking a stance. Of taking yeah. a stance yeah. in the organization so that, so that we don't have to put this idea as just in gender, but true. Correct. Women exactly. Took action, it was a different action than the other who didn't let the feminine come forward at all. Exactly. And that that yes. is what it keeps the balancing going. Of course, of course. And, and as we've said many, many times, there are, there's value in both. And the ultimate value is when you're using both, when, you're, when, you're, when both are merging together in the individual, in the relationship, in the community, in the world, when both masculine and feminine energy are working together side by side to further an ideal goal, as opposed to each you know, one... In a, in a separate way, which may harm, which may harm the uh, the overall trend. With women having this inherent sense of God, is your sense that God didn't choose women to be the leaders back then, or the ones that He spoke to because of all their family responsibilities, or what? I mean, it just seems like well, Miriam was a leader in her own right, and the Devora was a leader. There were many, many Jewish one, leaders. But in terms of like the main leaders, and also with being rabbis, too, I'm curious with the in the Orthodox movement. Well, there are. Well, listen. There are the 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 role, as you know, within Chabad. I mean, the the role of the Rebbitzin is a very powerful role. As much of a leader, the Rebbe said many times in a Chabad house. Yeah, I'm not you don't have a leader, but in ter- I don't know. No, but the, but see, but once you get into that, you're getting into a different conversation. You get into the idea of modesty, which which then takes on, and this is we came up before with the shit. It's it's and this is this is really a separate topic, but it doesn't in any way diminish the role. Of, in a sense of leadership of women in their in their in their unique you know in their unique role there is a there is a leadership an equal leadership role in a different way um, as a, as why you know said, I mean, but though, that gets into more of the modesty things yeah. I think a lot I think because of the culture we live in and because women haven't been given the same opportunities, you know, as a whole, in this, not not in the Jewish culture, in um, the culture. I, that, I say this all the time. Outside, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is more of the same, exactly. Like so I think it would be an interesting this is, class. You know, I, I I've I've had an idea to do a class, do like an evening, of like either pre-submit questions, but all the big questions, mechitza, rabbi reading from the, all like all the big questions, and we'll just we'll just go through them. But it's not, it's, we, I don't want to, it's going to take us too far up now. No, but, he, but here's the point. The point is that it, what you said is exactly what I've said before in this class at various opportunities. But what we always have to remember, Torah is divine wisdom. Torah is not man-made. Torah is divine wisdom. Torah is truth. The problem is human beings are flawed. Human beings take stuff and we mess it up. We tend to mess it up. 
Not, not even intentionally. We, just, just, like, we can't help ourselves. We take stuff and mess it up. And then what happens, when we correct it, to a certain extent, we go the other way. So we mess up one way, then we go the other way extreme, and then we start projecting it on Torah, and we start dragging Torah into this whole, are you pro? Or, and Torah is like, wait a second, don't get me involved. I'm, I, I've always taught an equal role for men and women. I've always taught that, Torah says, if Torah had a voice. And we have to give Torah a voice. And, and it's, it's the human being... You know, it's, it's almost like God. It's like, people take God and they say, well, because of God, I'm going to kill you. Because of God, you're going to hell. Not you. Not, because of God, I'm going to... So you're dragging God into the picture. Like, number one, who are you to drag God into the picture? Number two, it's not, it's not, it's not true. So then, then somebody has to defend God and say, well, God didn't... Re-. And it's like, oh, you know, we're, we're starting backwards. We're like defending God from a human mis, you know, distortion of... But anyway, but that's, that's like the short of it. Anyway, that's the difference. Okay, but anyway, let's get back to this for a second. Yeah. Synthesis. Yeah, synthesis and to work together in harmony. What's the lesson? Like, so that bad things or better things happen. Like, is the, the communication is not correct? Is it, you know, like, what's the lesson? And well, the, the I, I don't know. Well, I, I, I want to speak about the goal. Yeah, I want to speak about the goal. I don't know. Well, the, you, what you, with that goal in mind, yeah. how do you get there? Because it seems like, you know, like even here, like it didn't work out. Yeah, no, it didn't work out. Right, there was a golden calf. You're right, 100%. So we've, the, the way we understand it is like this, that every person has the job internally to synthesize these two things. Number, this is very important. Because it all begins here. You want to change the world, you've got to change your heart. If you want to change the outside world, change your inner world. So we talk about synthesis and what the objective is and how to achieve it. It has to start from within. And what does that mean? So it means what I said before. What it, what it means is simply, number one, and it was, I embrace a dual mission. Number one, to find God in everything that I do. And number two, to find moments to discover God in, in, in a sense, to bring God in from the outside. So, let me give you an example. So I go to Shul and Davin. So my day, right? Somebody's prototypical day. Waking up in the morning, going to synagogue and praying. And then going to work. This is the balance. So you go to synagogue. So you can say, so if God is everywhere, so I don't need to pray. So I'll find God. I'll just go straight to work. I'll open up my email. I'll go straight to work. And I don't need to pray. Because God is, God is right here. That's not, that's not sustainable either. Because if we don't have those moments of bringing in more energy, then eventually the work is gonna, we're going to sink in the work. And we're going to forget about God being here. On the other hand, if, we ju- if we're just in the synagogue, so we're saying that God's not here in the world either. So we need both. We need an interpret. So what I'm, the short answer is, we model this within ourselves. We find moments of escape and moments of return. And this is really what the heartbeat is about. Imagine if, you're, if, if somebody's heart just put out blood and never, or just pumped, just pushed out and never pulled back in. That would be an unhealthy situation. If it just pulled in, Without pushing out, it would also be unhealthy. The heartbeat, breath, works in and out, in and out. Push and pull, in and out. We're no different. We have the same masculine and feminine energies. One is out, one is in. One is out, one is in. That's the way it works. We have to have the interplay of both to have a healthy human being, to achieve our individual purposes, and then ultimately to bring that into the world as a whole. And were rewarded 
with this holiday. Yeah. And then I gave a speech recently. I told the rabbi I gave a speech to young women lawyers. And I talked about the story because if you look historic, like if we look at it now, there's still issues. But if you go historically, it's like the cap keeps coming. We learn another lesson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it builds on it. And it, but it does get better and better and better. Um, Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Judaism always believes in cyclical time. Spiral time. Not cyclical, spiral time. Where you know, time, history moves on a spiral. So events line up, but hopefully in a deeper, more progressed way. So it's not just linear, it's not just cyclical. Some people say, well, time marches on and that's it. Some people say, no, things repeat. Judaism has the spiral, the spring notion. So things do, golden, more golden calves come around, but hopefully it's on a deeper level, it's, it's more advanced and more progressive. Aaron didn't participate. No. Could he not convince other people? He was trying. He tried? He tried. He tried to push them off. He's like, come, to, he's like, come tomorrow. He's like, no, that's why he said, take it from your, take it from, ask your wives for the jewelry. He knew that they weren't going to give. <laughs> what they did, they took their own jewelry. They came up with their own stuff. So he was the only man that, that didn't participate? No, there were some others. Joshua. Chor, his nephew. Yeah, there were others. There were others that didn't participate. Not all of the men participated. Anyway, but let's let's get back inside. Uh, yeah. Quickly, you know, part of the thing why you have to do the it's like it's God's job, but we have to do the work. And if, if it was just God was just there, there'd be no free will. Like you have to ask for. That's the whole thing, and, and everything you read is that you know God's there when you. Have to, where where is God when you let Him in? But you have to take the thing and it's, like, it's just like this if you're going to ask somebody out so, well it's okay with me if you want to go out but you know that's not going to appeal to too many people right yeah you I'm know, with you you have to say you know like I want you know I want you and that's what that's what the whole thing about the praying it's not that God's not everywhere but for you to let him into you you got to, you got to, yeah, absolutely. That's why you need both aspects. I mean, and, and everyone needs both. And that's the idea of synthesis within the individual. Now, the last sentence that we just read, so we said, the women knew that the constellations don't have their own independent substance. They knew that. They knew that it was all God. But the men, we, right, what's the, what's the other side? The men, we said, their souls are from the masculine plane, Zerampin, which is Zah, which are the previous, the, 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 the previous six energies that are right above Malchut. Which is utterly exalted. So what does he say? That energy, Zah, right here. I'm gonna, can I utilize your, uh, your chart here for a second? So we have Malchut is down here. The previous six, one, one, two, three, four, five, six. These six energies right here, they stand above Malchut. Malchut descends into the creation which follows. Malchut knows that the creation that follows is because it's there, it's part, it's creating that, it's part of that fabric. The others, the higher six, are removed from that process. It's like the, the, the male role in birth of a child. There's a little bit of a step removed. The mother, right? The mother is involved in, for nine months, in creating the child. Whereas the father is a bit, you know, at some point in time the father was involved, but there's a little bit of a step <laughs> removed, right? There's a little bit of a step removed from, uh, from that creation. So the same thing is true with Zah. Zah stands up here. Zah is part of the fabric of this world. Zah doesn't descend. Zah is the collective term for the six energies. Zah doesn't descend into the lower world. It doesn't see itself in the lower world. It sees the lower world and says, that world doesn't look like this world. It looks a creative world, a physical world. This is a godly world. That's a physical world. Oh, it's got its own energy. It's got constellations. It's got its own thing. Not that the perspective is that God doesn't exist. 
but that God doesn't exist there. God exists here, Zah says. Zah, does this make sense? Zah in the world of emanation, Zah in the highest spiritual world says, does Zah know that God exists? Of course Zah knows God exists. It's an energy, it's a power of God. It's God's loving kindness, God's severity. Of course it knows God. But it knows God here, it doesn't know God there. Malchut knows God up there and also down here. So Zah says, of course God is real, but God, but, but the world doesn't run with God. The world has its own, has its own power, has its own independent um, energy. So that's why they were susceptible to not seeing God and to saying in the world, the men were susceptible to not seeing God in the world, and therefore saying, let's create a golden calf. All right, continue. David, for this reason. Page 52. For this reason, those who deny God's detailed supervision say His glory transcends the heavens. The heavens here represent Zah of Absolute, and He has abandoned the earth, the earth representing all. Again, look at this. Those who deny God's detailed supervision. What does that mean? Those who say that the world runs on its own. That God is not involved in every aspect of creation. God is not involved in every moment, everything, and every detail. So somebody who doesn't... Who's, there's two ways that you can say that. Understand that He's only taking one. There are, two, there are two ways to lead to that conclusion. One is to say God doesn't exist. God never existed. God doesn't exist. There is no God. There is nothing higher than here and now. So that's one way to say that everything is by chance. No, there's no detailed supervision. Nothing. That's what I refer to as the hedonistic approach, which may or may not be accurate. More of the atheistic approach, let's say. But the other, pro, the other angle to get to the same conclusion is by saying, of course I believe in God. Of course God is real. But you know where God is? God is somewhere higher than here. God can't, can't be bothered to get involved in my decisions, in someone else's decisions, in where I go to school, and where I was born, and in how I look, and how smart I am, etc. God is not involved in those details, because God is too big for that. So this is also the same, it's the same conclusion, that God is, we're marginalizing God, we're pushing God out of this world. One is saying that God doesn't, never existed, doesn't exist anywhere. And this one, at this angle, which he, he's referring to, is saying, yeah, God does exist, but God exists somewhere completely else. Somewhere completely different. God does not exist here. So that's what he says. So he cites two verses from Psalms. So those who deny God's detailed supervision in the second manner that I just mentioned say, His glory transcends the heaven. What does that mean? Where is God's glory? In the heavens. In Zah. God's glory is somewhere else in a higher plane. He's abandoned the earth. The earth, which is our reality, Malchut, our reality of existence, that's not God. That's the world. That's nature. That's constellations. That's power. That's, that's might. That's money, etc. That's what runs this world. Not God. Yeah. I don't want to go off on a tangent, but when you're talking about the constellations, when you're talking about Taurus, the bull, yeah. is I don't know. <laughs> it's a different translation. I'm, I'm not, I don't know. The, the short answer is I don't know. I don't know how it lines up on that level. I, well, they were following the astrological 
They were, they, yeah, they, they were in, it may be written somewhere, it's not, it's not here, I can't, I, I can make up something, but I don't want to make up something. It's not, Atzilut is the world of emanation. Atzilut, all of these ten energies exist in every world, but in the context that we're learning it, these ten energies are now existing in the highest spiritual world, the godly world. A world that doesn't look anything like this, it's not a created world at all. So what we're saying here is like this, that Malchut of the spiritual world descends and gets involved with our created reality, whereas the higher energies remain aloof. So a soul that comes from the higher energies has a perspective on God as God as aloof and God is not part of this world. So what is, I, I don't remember if we talked about Atzilut and Beraiz. We spoke about it along, along the way, along the journey, so, somewhere. Are we going to talk about that more? Mm, really no, it, just, just know one thing. No, just, just know that Atzilut is the world of emanation, is the spiritual world, and the worlds of Bria, Yitzir, and Asiya, those are the creator worlds. Asiya is the world of action, the world that we inhabit. But all three collectively are the worlds of, of createdness, otherness, as opposed to godliness. Atzilut is the world of godliness, the other worlds are the worlds of otherness, in progressive states. But it's, it's irrelevant. The point is that there's God and there's other. So the higher, Zah doesn't see God in the other. Malchut sees God in the other. And that, so that's why... You can have a situation where somebody denies God's presence here because their soul may be tied into the, uh, the, the, the perspective of Zah. Now, what we're going to do next week. So that's it for today. Feel a little bit unsatisfied? We got, we got stuff? We got good stuff? Alright. Next week, here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on heavy on the sun and the moon. Okay? We're going to understand why it is that the world, most of the world establishes time according to the solar calendar, why Jews establish their year, their, their time, according to the lunar calendar, we're going to then transition to understand why that's not even accurate, that statement that I just made. Because the Jewish calendar ties both solar and lunar together, which, as we said, is the Jewish approach of blending both masculine and feminine energies. We're going to understand why it is that the sun represents the masculine energy and the moon represents the feminine energy. We're also going to understand why it is that the feminine energy refl- is, is reflected in the moon in the sense of the feminine cycle and the cycle of the moon. This is what we're going to get to next week. And we'll also speak about some misconceptions regarding spiritual purity and impurity. All of that next week. Wow. Yeah. Some heavy stuff. All right, a quick announcement, very quick announcement.